Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest, Emily Edelin, PhD, who will be talking with us about her fabulous new book, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children. That is a mouthful and such a wonderful, wonderful book. I am so excited. So tell us a little bit about what makes you, you. Thank you so much for having me, Carla. It's really nice to be here. That is a good question. What does make me, me? (laughs) I grew up in Southern California and was always a big reader and also always loved working with children. Even as a child myself, I was taking care of younger children. So as I was growing up, it was really young that I realized I wanted to be a child psychologist. And I set my sights on that goal and worked very hard and eventually became a child clinical psychologist. And through that time, I was also writing and continuing to love to read. And I really had been trying to figure out how to bridge these two passions that I had my professional career as a psychologist working with children, teens, and families, and then also my love of reading and writing. And so it was just, it became a perfect opportunity to start writing about parenting. Ah, is this your first book? This is my first book. So I started- Congratulations. Thank you. It's kind of like having a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Takes a long time. but And a lot of work. And a lot of love. A lot of love. And a lot of patience. Yes, a lot of patience. Some emotional roller coasters along the way. But it's a huge achievement that I'm really, really excited about. Oh, fabulous. I am thrilled for you and the topic much needed. So before we dive into the content of your book, maybe this actually answers it, autonomy supportive parenting. Tell me a little bit more about that piece, please. Of course. And I'm glad you asked because it's a scientific term and I don't want that to turn people off. But I've noticed in a lot of parenting books recently, this idea of autonomy is becoming more and more part of the dialogue. And so I'm really happy that I've taken this opportunity with this book to bridge what's been about 30 years of rigorous research in the scientific world on this type of parenting to now bring it into the mainstream to help real parents in their lives use some of these ideas and principles. So the biggest nutshell version is that autonomy supportive parenting is using practices to help our child develop a strong sense of self and sense of mastery and competence in the world and to know who their authentic self is in the world. So it's a big, that is a very grandiose mission. But what I really enjoyed about writing my book is I drilled it down into the real day-to-day of parenting. Mm-hmm. 
Like, what does it really mean to do that day? How can you put it into practice? How can parents do this on a day-to-day basis? So that is the focus of your book. Yes. And the other way I approach this book differently than a lot of parenting material I've read is that I really wanted to center the parenting experience as much as the child's experience. Mm. So really taking into account what is it like to raise children who are different from each other. Siblings, each sibling is different in terms of our experience raising them. It's a two-way interaction, this whole parenting experience. And so really taking into account the importance of our autonomy being met. And we need to make time and space and prioritize our own sense of autonomy so that we can better practice that for our children. I love that you start from that place of having a basically an autonomous centered parent who then it's not this top down, I'm the parent and it's going one direction. It's wait, we want you, the parent, to be strong, grounded, centered so that your child can come have a relationship with you that's back and forth that allows the child to be strong, grounded, center, autonomous. Yes. And the Mm. science backs this up. So when parents are describing greater levels of autonomy, Mm -hmm. they are doing more autonomy support practices with their children. So it's borne out in the research and it makes common sense too. Now I have a question for you. I can hear some listeners thinking, (laughs) okay, so I need to teach my child to be highly independent. That's what you're saying. Make my child strong, tough, and stand on his or her two feet. I have a feeling that's not what you're talking about. No. And in fact, I was very careful not to use the word independence too Mm. much because I see it more as self-sufficiency across areas of functioning. So a child learning that they have skills and they can trust themselves in their emotional life, their social life, their academic life, all across their areas of functioning, it's building that strong sense of self, which is very different from you need to know how to do things on your own. That's a much narrower view of autonomy, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I'm right there with you that, in fact, so many people that you and I see in our day, that all of us in our daily lives, America is so hyper-independent focused that we often forget the importance of precisely what you're talking about, the autonomy that is also interdependent, the back and forth, the flow, that it's okay to need other people. Of course it is. That this So autonomous parenting doesn't mean you drop the child in the sandbox and say, I'll see you five five hours from now. Let's see how you do out there. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, even though autonomy supportive parenting has is linked to lower parental stress, it's also work. This isn't just a easier way to parent necessarily. It's more that you're investing some more work up front to wait for your child to buckle their own car seat, things like that, where you're just like, it takes a little patience, takes a little more time, takes a little more of your own willpower to step back. But the payoff is that you're children need you less in the big picture and are able to do more for themselves. But again, it's within the relationship. So I want to quickly explain 
the theory behind this, which is called self-determination theory. Thank That's, you. Yes, well-known in psychology. And so autonomy is one of the three components of this theory. The other two are mastery, which is where I talk about you know, skill development and getting, gaining trust and confidence in one's skills. And then relatedness, which is feeling a sense of belonging and feeling a sense of safety and trust and community with others. So that's where as parents, we're really the first experience of relatedness. We are providing our children their first sense of belonging. And that's a really powerful job that we're and gift that we have to give them. So that's where the relationship piece is really critical because the autonomy and the mastery, they they take root from the relationship. So all of them are working together. And I absolutely, I'm just smiling. Listeners, I wish you could see me. I'm smiling and saying, yes, yes, yes. This is so yummy. This is so good because it makes perfect sense. And that's why the title, if somebody confuses it with being independent, it's not about that. It is about, as you say, the relatedness piece the relatedness, that back and forth, that attuning to the child, seeing the child and helping them build first from that place of being seen, of being attuned to, of being loved. And I just love what you're talking about, creating first that sense of belonging, safety and community within the family. And as you know, Familius is all about helping families be happy. And so throwing the ball back in your court again, how seems somewhat obvious, but I'm going to ask you the expert, how does your book help families be happy? Well, I think for one, a main mission of this book was to empower parents and help them feel understood. Unfortunately, too much of parenting guidance over the last many years had blame and guilt and mm. I hear from other parents, and I've experienced myself this feeling of failure if I'm trying to practice what this parenting expert is telling me, and I'm a psychologist myself, and it's not working, working in quotes, and I feel a sense of failure, like I'm doing something wrong. And what I hope this book does is it empowers parents. There's it takes that out of it. It's not about any blame or guilt. It allows for a variety of experiences within the family, a variety of definitions of what is healthy, what is happy to fit your family and your circumstance. And this is a flexible framework. This isn't a prescription of do this and do that. It's a way of having these... I describe it as kind of lampposts to light a dark path. (laughs) And when you're uncertain, they give you light. But you can fit it to how you need to work it. And I think when people are feeling more confident, when parents are feeling understood and empowered and confident, they are passing that on to their children and their children can absorb that same, that same positive emotion. And then the relationships are stronger. So that's really where I think this book contributes to happier families. Excellent. Excellent. I love this. So I have another question for you. I'm full of questions. So it sounds as if your book really considers parents, caregivers, grandparents, whoever's pitching in on the caregiving duties from all backgrounds and walks of life and different needs and actually meets them where they are. So it's almost 
the parent caregiver can tailor make your book to suit where they are, where the child is. Yes. And I work in the book to give a lot of different examples. The book does cover toddlers, school age, children, Mm. and teenagers. So I always say you can just flip to the part that you need for now in your parenting season. But I try and use a lot of very different examples and scripts for, for a template, but it's just a template. And I give a lot of permission, not that people need permission, but sometimes when they're reading a parenting book, they feel like they have to do it to the letter. But to flex this to, as you were talking about earlier, it is central to tune in to your child, to each child's needs, to tune in to how you're responding to your child, what's coming up Mm. for you and what is needed in that relationship. And that is true autonomy. When your child feels like you know who they really are and you are supporting who that is rather than projecting your own, I think my child is this type of person. And then they feel like they can't be themselves. So that's another really fundamental part of of autonomy. So tell me about the questionnaire. Okay. Okay. So we're going to jump right into that because I think this will be really helpful for listeners, for parents to realize that you're not just throwing them into something without giving them a chance to do some examination of the situation. So please do share. Are you referring to the quiz that I have in the book? Yes. Okay. So I did. Everyone loves a good quiz. <laughs> so I I modified scientifically validated questionnaires that are used throughout the literature and have everyone do a self-assessment of how controlling am I versus how autonomy supportive am I? And I give the caveat that you should think about each child when you answer the questions because it could, it could be different per child mm-hmm. and it could change tomorrow, next week, you know, absolutely. so yes, I think the important piece that I haven't touched on yet, as we've been talking is that we, that the whole book is framed as this contrast with the controlling tendencies of parenting that have become much more common and more fear-based and rooted in anxiety. And there's a lot of reasons that has developed, but what's happening is very loving, well-intentioned parents are becoming more controlling with their children. And that is undermining the autonomy of the child. And so I am very open and transparent about my own struggles with this as well, because I think it's very human. And we're living in a culture right now that's really pushing on our controlling buttons. And so again, there's that compassion. I have self-compassion. I have compassion for all the other parents living in this modern era of parenting. But I think it's important for all of us to do some self-evaluation. So that's why I put that quiz in there. Thank you so much. I'm a big, I love quizzes. And I love ones that are well-researched So and validated. So thank you for that. So it sounds as if you're painting this picture we have this big field of parenting and we have the helicopter parents and the bulldozing parents and the disinterested parents and the parents who are trying to just stay afloat. Right. right? Just get by. Let me it. just get through the day and get some sleep so I can wake up and do it all over again. How do you see your book helping parents slow down to navigate that very wild and wooly, imperfect science, science in quotes, right, of parenting. 
How do you think a parent can really embrace, or any caregiver really, can embrace this book in a really concrete way? So I spend the first part of the book on theory to really explain the rationale for why this is appealing and to you know motivate people to be interested in exploring this idea of autonomy supportive parenting. And then most of the book is really on the ground, real life scenarios across different areas of life, like posting something inappropriate on Instagram, things that are really happening with parents and families and their kids, and that are pain points for parents. And I really dig into how to apply this autonomy supportive framework to these scenarios. I also include what it looks like when it's controlling. And I will admit the controlling examples were very easy for me to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) It feels safer that way, doesn't it? Yes, I'm with you on that. I'd probably be able to dive in. So I have a question for you. Let's just give our listeners an example of what it might look like. You have, I'm going to just throw this at you, okay? It's going to be really easy for you. You're such a pro. So let's imagine I have this little 11-year-old and maybe it's a girl. And I just discovered that she's been going over her social media time limit of 30 minutes a day. I know that's very low for most people, but so 30 minutes a day. And not only that, but I found that she's actually posting things that I find highly inappropriate. I want to take her phone away from her for a week and lock it in the drawer. What would you tell me? I would validate the impulse. (laughs) (laughs) That is very appealing. However, when it comes to comparing the two approaches, controlling ends up being more punitive. And that means the child's not learning. So how I frame it is if you want your child to learn from inevitable mistakes, So we're going to expect our children to make these mistakes. If we want them to learn from it, taking an autonomy supportive approach is more effective. So in this situation, the impulse is to come down hard. To come in, what were you thinking? How could you do this? You broke our rules. Give me your phone. I get it. I've had similar conversations while writing this book. While I had more self-awareness, I actually was able to pivot and do things along this line. I really want to understand what's happening with you here. You understood our rule of 30 minutes and you haven't been following it. So what's going on? You know, and you get their input first and their experience first and give them a chance to explain. You're still you're still maintaining the rules and the boundaries, mm-hmm. but you're having a conversation and a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, well, now that you've broken the rule, what do you think should happen? Ah, I like this. Especially for an 11-year-old who can come up with some ideas and has the cognitive ability, right, to understand consequences, cause and effect. So see what they have to say. It doesn't mean you're going to do what they suggest. But I myself have been surprised at my kids' ideas for consequences that have been very appropriate. And once they came up with a consequence, it was so much easier to enforce because it was their idea. I like this. This is good. (laughs) Yes. And then you say, you know, what needs to happen next? Maybe 
And this, I say, you don't have to do all in one conversation, but should we evaluate the 30 minute time limit and opening the door to really hear your child's experience of why that feels so short, for example. And if you show some flexibility around changing a limit, not because they broke the rule, there's still a consequence for that. Maybe they do not have their phone for a week. However, you can listen to them about the limit and show some flexibility around changing rules as kids develop and mature. And there is a place for that. So beautiful, beautiful. And it really takes us back full circle. As you're saying, you change the rules as suits where the child is at. Again, tuning into that child's needs. And it's much easier on the parent, like you say, to have a very firm rule and say, it's this, this, this for the rest of your life. But in the long term, the child's going to act out and you're going to spend so much more time doing all the cleanup than if you realize, wait, let's grow, adjust, change, learn together. Right. Because what happens if they're breaking rules and sneaking around what's going on with your relationship and how safe do they feel coming to you about heavier problems? So it's really laying the foundation for the kind of relationship I think most parents really want with their older kids and teenagers. Yes. A very trust-based relationship that has elements of friendship. It can turn into a more mature friendship over time. Beautiful. So as we prepare to wind up, are there any other key tidbits you'd like to to offer to our listeners? I know that the book is so much richer than we're able to cover in this short time. I'm trying to think because we covered a lot of the points I wanted to make sure that we hit. I think it's really important, this idea of nurturing our child's authentic sense of self. I think it's fair to admit we as adults may still be searching for who that is. And maybe our parents didn't do that for us. And so I think it's a really big gift we can be aware that we're giving to our children to really be able to see them for who they are. And having these kinds of open discussions, even in times of conflict and stress and hardship, that's even more where that grows of of a child feeling like you understand them, you know them, and you love them for who they are. I absolutely love that. So before we wrap up, just you could tell me about the story of your 11-year-old telling you that you were controlling. I laughed so hard. We were in the kitchen and this is my 11 is the new teenager, right? And she's just kind of getting her her sassy wings. She's always a really sweet, sweet kid. And she's, I was teasing her about something. And then she just looked at me and zinged me right back and said, well, you're so controlling. And I burst out laughing and she kind of <laughs> looked at me. She was a little worried about me. Why is she laughing? And I said, I just wrote a whole book on how to not be controlling. (laughs) You just called me controlling. And she laughed. And then she said, actually, you and dad are really nice. (laughs) Oh, oh, good story. It's so important because we're going to all have our moments and our kids are going to see us certain ways because they're going through what they're going through. And so it's not a perfect science. It's more the big picture. And the fact that we could laugh together and talk about it was, I think, the most important part. Absolutely. Well, beautiful story for us to close on today. 
Thank you so much, Emily, for being with us today. It's been such a pleasure. Where can our listeners find you? They can find me at my website, emilyedlinphd.com. And I have a blog there as well as other places I've written. And then I am on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Emily Edlin. I'm on LinkedIn. You can just search me. That is, I'm newly active on there. And then on Facebook, I have the Art and Science of Mom Facebook page and Facebook group. And that's the name of my blog, The Art and Science of Mom. I love that. The Art and Science of Mom. Okay. We love that. Oh, (laughs) so Emily, listeners, the spelling on Emily's last name is Emily E-D-L. Y-N-N, so it looks like Edlin, Emily Edlin. She is a child clinical psychologist and her book is Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children. You're going to have to look for her book coming out later this year, 2023. So I am so excited for you, Emily. All good things, my goodness. And thanks again for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's so nice to talk to you. It's been a joy. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, such as the amazing book we talked about today, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, reduce parental burnout, and raise competent, confident children, be sure to visit us at Familius.com where you will find our Habit Hub blog as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. And thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do. Mm -hmm.